maybe like us at our house, we tend to uh, to tune out or fast forward through commercials these days, unless it's like a live ball game and you can't do that. Uh, but uh, but other than that, we but but there are some commercials still. I don't know, just me, I guess, kind of quirky, but I, I still find some commercials entertaining. Of course, there's the, there's the, the, the funny ones and things, but, but, uh, there are some who are, that are, that I tend to chuckle at that are un, I think they're unintended, uh, to be funny. And those are the prescription drug ads. I don't, I don't know. Uh, they're usually really long, right? And, uh, yet, and I have yet to see one that remotely relates to anything that I might need. But in the last uh, few seconds of those ads, it usually gets kind of entertaining uh, or maybe scary. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, of course, it's the obligatory side effect warnings, right? And they talk real fast and they do all the things and, and usually it comes up and you print about that big at the bottom. Uh, these, these things that, uh, these, these, uh, prescriptions that we take, have side effects. They, they affect us in certain ways, right? I just looked up a few. Uh, Ambien, the sleep aid, uh, can actually cause, quote, sleepwalking and even sleep eating. Maybe some of you have experienced that. I don't know. Uh, there's a drug for uh, restless leg syndrome called Mirapex, and it says that you need to, quote, tell your doctor if you experience increased urges to gamble. Okay, all right. Um, there's, the, uh, the, there's an over-the-counter weight loss drug called Ali, I believe it's called, and, and uh, it seems to have the unpleasant and, quote, hard-to-control side effects of gastrointestinal reactions. That's as far as they're going on a Sunday morning, but you can picture that this would not be a, a great thing. Celebrex for arthritis can cause, among many other things, the list is long, but one of the things in that list is death. So, uh, I mean, I, without going into all the ones I've heard and scaring you off your meds this morning, uh, suffice it to say that the drugs that we consume have an effect on us, right? They influence our health, hopefully for the good. Hopefully all of the good that those things do outweigh some of the side effects we have to, to, uh, to, to deal with. But, but, but they influence us in a lot of ways, sometimes in unintended ways. Certain substances influence how we function and how we feel. Obviously, the term DUI acknowledges that alcohol can impair our abilities to extent that to the extent that it is dangerous to drive under the influence of it. Right? Alcohol has a noticeable influence over a person's ability to function. And the same was true in Jesus' day. Uh, people could tell when others were under the influence of alcohol, when they were intoxicated. That's what the disciples were accused of on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They were loudly going through the streets of Jerusalem at 9 a.m., speaking in unlearned languages, attracting a huge crowd, and some people mistook it for a drunken party, right? Uh, people said they had had, Acts 2.13, uh, accused them of having having too much wine. Of course, we, as we saw there, and as we, uh, we can uh, read in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, that they were under the influence, but not the influence of alcohol. They were under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who had just been poured out on them. So, does that mean that if the Holy Spirit invades our lives, if we allow him to fill us and mold us and and shape us and use us, that we're going to act crazy and people think we're drunk? Not necessarily. 
But, but maybe this is the truth that underlies everything that, uh, uh, that, that, that we want to look at today. Life is different when it's lived under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Life is different when we live it under the influence of the Holy, when we allow the Holy Spirit to influence us. So last week, uh, we looked at uh, uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does by, by looking at some of the images or metaphors that the Bible uses to describe him. If you, if you, uh, didn't, uh, uh, if you weren't here last week or didn't log in uh, last week, you can, you can do that anytime. Just go to the church website, to the video page, and you can watch that on, uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, but, but just to, uh, to, to maybe bring you up to speed, we looked at the, the, uh, the, the image of fire and uh, how the Holy Spirit is like fire, and in saying that, we're saying that that He consumes sin, and He purifies us of sin, and and He softens us, and and He strengthens us, and He comforts us. All of those things are wrapped up in that image of fire. We we looked at the image of a dove that uh, the Holy Spirit is is innocent and pure, and and brings peace with God, and He brings. Uh, he it was also a sacrifice. We also talked about the Holy Spirit is like air, and throughout Scripture, it talks about the Spirit being the very breath that we that we breathe, our our, our life, and, and talks about the Holy Spirit being a wind that that powers through, that, that that cleanses, and and all of those images are wrapped up in in the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does. And there are other metaphors for the Spirit. I want to look at one more specifically today. But I don't want us to just look at these and go, okay, that's cool, that's what the Holy Spirit, that helps a little bit, that's great. Um, as, as, your, as your pastor, I, I want you to not just learn about the Holy Spirit, I want you to experience the Holy Spirit, right? To, to live under his influence. As we dwell on who God is and how we relate to him, and as his Holy Spirit lives with us and within us, we can experience him in fresh new ways. So the, the, the picture that I want to look at today for the Holy Spirit, the last one there, you can probably tell, uh, it's, a, it's a little drop of water. The, there are multiple mentions of water in scripture uh, in relation to God the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44 verse 3 says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. John 4, 13 and 14, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 7, 38 and 39, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. There's that uh, correlation of, of the Spirit. And uh, maybe our, our fifth one should have been a, a bottle of beer. I don't know. That's probably not, not it. The, out the whole, uh, under the influence. I don't We're, we're going to move on. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is, is like water? Well, first of all, it brings, he brings life. The water is life-giving. Um, the Spirit leads to eternal life. It says streams will flow from us, streams in a dry and thirsty land. I, life is not very good without water, is it? 
Uh, Life in the desert is a hard life. Not much, if anything, grows, and and many living things die before they find the water that they need to survive. Water means life, and so it is with the Holy Spirit. He means life, spiritual life for us. John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Romans 8, uh, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the spirit, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. It's what we're ta- we talk about when we say we live to love people to life. It means that we love them enough to introduce them to the possibility of living under the influence of the Spirit and the life that he brings, this spiritual life. The Holy Spirit brings real, amazing, abundant life. It's like a river flowing deep within us. It nourishes us with life. It flows from us to bring life to those around us. That is One of the images that we can have in our minds as we think about the spirit being water, the spirit is life. Another thing that that, that water brings, that the spirit also brings, is cleansing. Water purifies and cleanses. Water plays a huge role in our lives as as we clean everything, right? We clean ourselves, we clean our dishes, we clean our cars, we we clean our dogs, we can try to clean our cats, but it probably won't end well, right? Uh, Whatever we want to be clean, we clean with water, right? And, And as I've already talked about in some of the other metaphors there, One of the Holy Spirit's main jobs is to cleanse us, to cleanse us of sin, uh, to to get rid of the sin in our lives. Whether you want to to think of it as uh, as fire sterilizing, we talked about that last time, wind uh, whipping through, bringing bringing uh, uh, you know cleansing the air around us, or or water washing, whatever image helps you best. You need to get it into your head that the one of the Holy Spirit's main jobs is to cleanse us of sin. It's one big thing that the Holy Spirit does. Another thing that he brings that, uh, that we've seen in a couple of these other metaphors is power. Water has tremendous power. People have used the power of, of water for centuries. Water wheels have powered mills as the water rushes over the wheel and it, it turns and creates the energy that makes everything else uh, in, the, in the mill work. People have, have harnessed the power of water through, uh, through building dams and, and they, they channel that water to a specific place and as it rushes in, uh, they, uh, they harness the power and they produce electricity. And If you've ever been to the beach, you know the power of a, of a wave that comes in and crashes over you, right? Or, or the currents that, that can, can drag even the best swimmers out to sea at times. Water has incredible power. And of course, so does the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a message that we've seen in several of these metaphors because it's an important part of who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, power is a key component of the Spirit in your life. He gives you the strength, the power to do what you cannot do any other way. 
So we've got these big dramatic things of uh, uh, water rushing and, and power and cleansing and all those things. But, but, but I think it's also significant, as, as we saw in a couple of these images last week as well, that, uh, uh, that, that, that there's also this, this encouraging, soothing, comforting component, component to the spirit as well. And, and water, water helps us understand that too. A, a tall glass of ice water on a hot summer day refreshes us, right? Or jumping into a swimming pool on an August afternoon takes our breath away. But water can bring excitement and adventure like whitewater rafting. It can be be beautiful and majestic like a picturesque mountain lake or, or the sun setting over the ocean. It has a calming, soothing effect. Uh, maybe you listen to water sounds as you go off to sleep, or maybe you have a, a fountain or a waterfall somewhere on your, your property that, uh, that just gives you that soothing, comfort, comforting feel. The Holy Spirit is not just this big, dramatic, powerful cleansing, all the things. He also is a soothing, beautiful, refreshing presence in our lives. One, one verb, I think, that, that scripture uses over and over again that, that specifically maybe we relate to the, the image of water more than anything else is that, that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Before Pentecost Sunday, when the church was born, the Holy Spirit worked in certain places and times in order to accomplish specific things. He was at work. He's never not been uh, at work. It's not that the Spirit was created at some point when the church was about to be. He'd always been at work, but he hadn't been uh, poured out upon people uh, for, for all day. He'd been given at specific times. In Exodus, uh, there, there were craftsmen that, that uh, Moses designated, well, God designated through Moses to, to build the tabernacle. And uh, uh, you can look at this. It's, it's fascinating to read certain people that had these gifts and, and, and abilities in order to do certain things, to build uh, certain uh, pieces and that were going to be part of their, their sacrifice and their, their, uh, their worship and, and the candlesticks and even the, the, uh, the, the curtains and different things that they had in this, in this tabernacle. And, and it says in Exodus that these people were filled with the Spirit in order to do all of their work. They were literally inspired to be the best craftsmen that God could make them. The Spirit inspired them to do that. We're told many times that, that certain prophets were filled with the Spirit as they prophesied to the people of their day. The Spirit was given at specific times for specific purposes, but, but something unique happened in Acts chapter 2. After a, a 10-day prayer meeting, so Jesus had, had uh, raised from the dead, had spent some time appearing to people and, and encouraging, and then uh, the, the disciples went with him uh, on the, the, the mountainside, and he ascended into heaven. They went back to Jerusalem, 10-day prayer meeting, 120 people in the upper room, uh, and, uh, and, and then the day of Pentecost, this celebration that was already on the, the Jewish schedule, so everybody's gathered in Jerusalem from all parts of, of, uh, uh, of the, world, the known world at that time. They're gathered there, and the the Holy Spirit descends, the wind is blowing, there's fire that, that descends from, from heaven and the Holy Spirit filled, it says, this, this uh, group of 120 people in that upper room and they began to proclaim the good news of Jesus in multiple unlearned languages. They were under his influence and they thought they were drunk. But, but that wasn't all. Uh, it, it had a lasting effect. It wasn't just that, that he inspired them for that moment to do that little preaching service there on the streets in Jerusalem, but, but it had a lasting effect. Quite a change took place. I, I like to look at the life of Peter. Uh, before Acts 2, Peter, I mean, he kind of bumbled around. 
Uh, He put his foot in his mouth on multiple occasions. He was known for being impulsive and and scattered and and sure he was faithful to Jesus, but but actually just just a few weeks earlier, uh, before the day of Pentecost, he had denied that he even knew Jesus. But then after being filled with the Spirit, Peter is the one taking the lead and he's speaking boldly to the crowds and, and, and he healed people and he led the church with strength and character. Maybe this is a good, uh, good little study uh, thing for you to do at some point. Uh, read the book of Luke, uh, focus primarily on the character of Peter. So if you just kind of flip through and whenever you see Peter mentioned, just kind of read through and see what Peter's like and do a little character study, I guess, on, on Peter. And then read the first half of the book of Acts and compare how Peter, what Peter does and how he is in the book of Acts. I mean, you're going to notice a big difference. The change is remarkable. And, and what made the difference was the Holy Spirit that was now filling him. The, the Spirit was poured out on the disciples at Pentecost and they were changed forever. I say that and yet there's also this sense that, I mean, we read in the book of Acts that multiple times that the Holy Spirit kept filling people. He was poured out on them and they were filled. And if I think filled, I mean, I mean, they, they were filled. It, it wasn't just that they had a little bit, but they were filled, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And then these same people, some of these same people got filled again <laughs> and again. And it was, well, how can that happen? They're filled in Acts 2. In Acts 4, 8, it says that Peter was filled again. Then in Acts 4, 31, uh, the, the, the early church folks were, were, were filled again and empowered to speak boldly. In Acts 13, 52, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Uh, so this filling is a life-changing event that keeps being renewed or can keep being renewed. I think we also need to know as we think about this filling of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works and, and what he does and, and all those things that, that it is possible to be saved and not be filled. Hang with me here. Acts 19, 1 and 2, it says, when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus and there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, holy what? (laughs) They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, right? Uh, Yet Peter had told the crowd in Acts chapter 2 that uh, that they'd receive the Spirit. Uh, Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that says that when you're, quote, saved, when you pray to receive Christ, you're receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. But these folks didn't receive the Holy Spirit when they were, which is it? Certainly, certainly when we repent and ask for the saving grace of God in our lives, the Spirit is present and active, right? That, that begins our journey following Jesus. That's the starting point. As we mature in our faith, as we grow closer in our relationship with God, there comes a time of, of full surrender. A time when we invite the Spirit to, to move in completely, to take over, to fill us. Our faith tradition in the Church of the Nazarene has taught for over a century about this infilling of the Holy Spirit as a, quote, second work of grace that, uh, among other terms, uh, is called entire sanctification. Man, that's a big word for a Sunday morning. Sanctif- that's like 17 syllables. My goodness, what is that all about? I, I, today, as we think about these images of the Holy Spirit, and as we think about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I, I'm going to lay out some, some s- steps, I guess, for lack of a better term, 
on how we can experience that second work of grace. But, but even as I say that, maybe you're sensing that I'm hesitant to do that because I'm not sure it's as easy as a formula or a recipe. As I try to, uh, to, to guide you as your pastor, I, I want to let you know what scripture says and to lay out the descriptions of what this looks like and, and how we can experience it. But, but it's going to be up to you to engage with God and with his word to determine not only where you are currently in your walk with him and what your next steps would be in pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. See, your life can have meaning and direction. You can experience victory over sin. You can walk close to God each day with the promise and hope of, of eternity in heaven. You can have peace and power and joy and courage and cleansing and anointing as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's possible. And it starts with surrender. In my head just now, as I said the word surrender, there was this, uh, this little record player that went right there. Because we might say, I, okay, we, we, we maybe get caught up in that uh, or, or put the brakes on right at the beginning before we ever start this, right? Romans 12 uh, starts out this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is right at the beginning, right at the start of this whole process is the sticking point for a lot of people. Complete surrender to God in everything. I mean, it's hard, right? Uh, it's, there's, there's a funny thing about being filled with something. You have to be empty of other things first. I, I know a lot of people who can't get one or both of their cars in the garage because their garage is too full of stuff. I'm not judging, I know, that's, it's fine. I, this week my car was out half the week because I had stuff and it was there. And uh, I have uh, family members who have, their cars have not seen the inside of their garage in years. Yeah, century, no, years, okay. I'm not, I'm not judging, I'm just saying that if that's you, you know what I mean. You'll never get the car in the garage until you get the other stuff out. Right? It just, it makes sense. <laughs> and I believe that there are many well-meaning followers of God today who cannot be filled with the life-giving Holy Spirit because they're hanging on to too much stuff. They haven't offered their lives as a sacrifice to God. I, I'm not talking about stuff like, like possessions. I'm talking about things that they want to still have control of. God has an amazing life planned for you. It starts with submitting to his leadership, letting him direct your steps, trusting and obeying God in everything. That's abundant life, but it starts, it's, it's counterintuitive. It starts with giving up. It starts with stopping and not trying to figure it all out. It starts with letting him clean things up first. We have to give ourselves over to God's control. It's surrender. Offer your life as a living sacrifice to God. 
another thing that, that is involved here that maybe we skip over, and that is that we need to ask. Uh, if we want the Holy Spirit to fill us, we need to ask God to do that. Luke 11 uh, describes it this way. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who, uh, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I mean, that's a, that's a, a great promise. A, a lot of times we don't experience the blessings of God. We don't experience the Spirit of God because we haven't asked. I, I mean, God is a loving Father who only wants what's best for us. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask because we don't quite know what that means. If, the, if I give up control through surrender and then I ask God to, to fill me with his spirit, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? And so we don't quite get to that point of asking. The Holy Spirit is ours for the asking, Scripture says. Of course, we have to be in a right relationship with God when we ask. We have to be obeying him. And that's the, that's the next thing that, that has to be a part of our lives. We're obeying what, what God says. We're living a life to please him. Acts 5.32 says, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Oh, there's, there's some, uh, that's kind of an important thing to, to recognize. Disobedient children don't usually get what they ask, they ask for, right? Uh, although I, I'm thinking that, that if we're not obeying, we're probably not even asking in the first place, but, but uh, we have to have a clear conscience before God if we're going to be filled with the Spirit. A, a precursor to the Holy Spirit coming in our lives is, is repentance. Holy humility that submits to and obeys the will of God no matter what. That obedience is key. Disobedience hinders the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we surrender ourselves to God. We ask God to fill us. All the while we are doing our best to obey whatever he says whenever he says it. And then there's, there's certainly some faith involved, right? We've got to believe. Galatians chapter 3 says, I, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham, quote, believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Full faith and belief and trust in God is a key component to all of this. We, we have to believe that, that this is really possible. It is possible and God wants you to live in his power, not just your own power. We've got to believe it. You know, there's something that, um, that I've noticed about water. Thirsty people appreciate it most. Maybe they get the most. I mean, there's there's a lot. You probably are drinking eight cups a day and all the things, and and so maybe you're not thirsty. But but uh, uh, it's, there's benefits to uh, just getting your daily allowance of water. That's great. But but thirsty people drain the glass in a moment and then fill it up again. Right? They sense their need. Huh. Wow. What what if what if we sought after the presence of the Holy Spirit? like a thirsty person seeks something to quench their thirst. 
Psalmist knew all about that in Psalm 42, 1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh God. What do you pant after? What do you long for? When was the last time that you longed for God? That you couldn't get enough fast enough? (laughs) That you were thirsty for him? I quoted A.W. Tozer a couple of times last week, and here's one more Again, man, I, it's one of those uh, little books where you're kind of reading through and going, man, I wish I had written that. So maybe I'm just expressing his words, uh, being his mouthpiece. It says, I am talking about his coming and possessing the full body and mind and life and heart, taking the whole personality over gently but directly and bluntly and making it his. So that we may become the habitation of God through the Spirit. I mean, I wonder how many people there are in churches today who are, man, they're good people and, and, and doing good things. And, but they're not filled with the Spirit. They're not letting the Spirit do it in them and through them. That, that we're kind of just, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit we talk about and this and that and, and it's just part of whatever, but we haven't really experienced that we're not under the influence, we're not filled to capacity. We haven't surrendered fully and completely. We haven't let him cleanse us out. We haven't really even asked. Maybe we don't quite even believe it's possible. Scripture says the Holy Spirit is ours for the asking if we simply offer ourselves to God. I don't know what image you relate to today. Maybe it's uh, the image of a, of a fire or, or a dove or, or breath or wind or water. Whatever it is, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is a life-transforming person of God who longs to fill you. So on this Pentecost Sunday, as we celebrate when the Spirit was first poured out on the church, man, what a a great time for us to evaluate. Have I been filled with the Spirit? And maybe you have, and maybe that's great. And maybe, maybe, uh, you know, it wasn't enough for Peter to just be filled once, but a continual refreshing Spirit of the living God fall fresh on me, right? can't get enough of the Holy Spirit. 